Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Well, y'all came back. That's good. That is really, really, really good. Amen. Well, how many of you were here this morning? Okay. How many were not here this morning? Okay. All right. Okay. Then, then we need to just make sure it's still there. Okay. Helps. You know, when I, when I first started traveling and teaching on the ministry of helps, uh, it wasn't real popular. Uh, no one came to my meetings. And, uh, well, the only people that came were nursery workers and ushers that came to my meetings. And, uh, you know, people would look at me, and, and I was constantly being asked, is it in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? And I'll be honest with you, there were many times with fear and trembling, uh, I would open my Bible, come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, and just a hoping and a praying, it's still there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm very serious because, I mean, uh, it, w- when I started... Uh, uh, you know, again, no one came to my, my meetings. And this was a time when churches uh, throughout the United States were having seminars and uh, some two, two a month, you know, and everything. And, and, uh, and so with much fear and trembling, I'd open up the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. It says, and God has set some in the church. And I thought that's where I want to be. I want to be in church. You know, a lot of people, especially on Sunday, just go to church. Look at your neighbor and say, I think I know who he's talking about. Amen. <laughs> Come on, y'all got neighbors? Tell your neighbors. I think I know who he's talking about. Amen. I want to be in church. To be in church means to be involved in church. Now look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about me right now. Amen. <laughs> it says, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, and then I'd take a breath and say it's still there. I didn't make it up. I mean, I'm serious, I mean, I I almost thought maybe I did make it up, you know, the way everybody acted about it, but here it is, it's still there, and it still says that God made it up, so it's important, it's important, amen. Helps governments, you know, there's there's an area of of teaching uh, uh, that we uh, uh, still need in the body of Christ, amen, learn more about governments, Uh, that's where uh, Pastor Tony is, where a lot of church splits come from. Uh, a lot of uh, associate pastors don't understand that their gift is governments. It's not to, uh, you know, they're not there being trained to be another pastor. Amen. You know, uh, another definition for governments is those who have the ability to steer a ship. It takes more than one person to steer a ship. Amen. And, uh, and so that's, that's a whole, whole other area. We're, then it goes on and says diversity of tongues. Now, I'm going to throw something out here because, you know, I like, I like nights like this and, uh, and workshops, you know, and I love, you know, uh, giving little tidbits out. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to share something with you and I'm going to leave you with it without the answer so you can stew over it, you know, for the next uh, two days. And maybe I'll answer that. But uh, I, want, I want to point out something that you have never seen before in the Bible. How many of you like to see something you've never seen before? I know you're thinking, oh, come on, brother, buddy, I've seen everything. No, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before, all right? 
And, uh, and then we're going to get into my teaching, okay? And we're, go we're going to have a good time tonight. Amen. But I want to point out something. We're starting in verse 29, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, all right? Paul begins to ask a series of questions to the Corinth church. He says, are all apostles? Now, I I'm just going to ask you the, the same question. Are you all apostles? No, no, you're not. Thank God. Amen. And then it goes on and says, are all prophets? I'll ask you, are you all, all, all prophets? No. Now, some think they're prophets, but they wouldn't know the difference between a prophet and a loss. Amen. That's my only joke. Amen. Went over real big, I can tell. Amen. All right. Then it goes on and it says, are all teachers? Now, we can all teach, but this is uh, talking about the ministry gift. Okay? So the answer to that one is no. He goes on, he asked him another question. He says, are all workers of miracles? Always gets quiet on that one, you know. Well, I mean, I'm not, no, I'm apostle, no, I'm prophet, no, I'm teacher, but um, I could use the miracles, amen. <laughs> well, the answer is no, okay. <laughs> he goes on and he asks, have all the gifts of healing? And the answer is no, okay. And then he asks, do all speak with tongues? Now, he's not talking about a prayer language. He's talking about tongues and interpretations here, the gift. All right. Do you all speak with tongues? No. He says, do all interpret? What's the answer? No. And then he goes on, and here is a $64,000 question in the body of Christ. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show unto you a more excellent way. The $64,000 question in the body of Christ is, what are the best gifts? This is important. He says here, he says, covet earnestly. So it, this is important. Another translation says, uh, he says, fervent, fervently seek after the best gifts. So the $64,000 question is, what are the best gifts? Over the years, we've heard uh, answers like, well, it's apostles and prophets. And, uh, because they're the first ones in the list. But I had a question. We all just got done saying we're not. Why would he tell us to covet earnestly, fervently seek after something we all admit we're not? I couldn't accept that answer. Amen? And then what's the other answer that we hear for this? What's the other answer we hear a lot? I hear this a lot. The one that's needed at the time. Right? And I always say, well, then what time is it? Now, to me, that's a scattered shot answer. Now, I don't know if you know what a scatter shot is, but if you hunt, that's a shotgun shell that has 200 pellets in it, and when you shoot it, it'll fan out, and, uh, and you're hoping and praying one of those little pellets is going to hit your target. Amen. But you can't tell me which one is going to hit it. Amen. And so it's kind of like oh, you know, God looks over and says, oh, they need one of these. So he picks them all up and he throws them over. He says, whatever hits you, <laughs> that's what you need. We don't serve a scattered shot, God. So the question is, what are the best gifts? Now, this is a good one. <laughs> Did anyone notice anything while we were going through this list? Did anyone notice anything? He left out two questions, didn't he? Now, how many of you, everybody looks at your Bibles. Look at your Bibles. I want you to look. 
How many of you, please be honest, how many of you, this is the first time that's ever been brought to your attention that he left out those two questions? Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look, look, everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. Why haven't we noticed that before? He left out helps and governments. Some say, well, it's because they're not that important. Really? I was taught there's a reason for everything that's done in the Bible. Over 20-some years ago, I saw that. And my first question is, why? Why, Paul? Why did you skip helps and governments? Now, Karen, I would not have had that question if his last question would have been, do all have the gifts of healing? And then he went right in and said, but covet and receive the best gifts, and yet show unto you a more excellent way. But he went to the thing that was after them. Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. So he knew they were there, but he left them out. So, just wanted to give you something to think about. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe we'll get into it. Amen. Hallelujah. But I, but I have a, a, another teaching for you. I, I love, I love, there's a good anointing in here. Just a really a good, good anointing in here. I want to try to give you as much as I can while I'm here, okay? And so we're, 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 we're really going to pour it out. Okay, we're going to be talking about, if you have a, a workbook uh, and you want to go to the notes and uh, uh, it's, the one on Jesus and the ministry of helps, okay? When, uh, when Karen uh, uh, got a hold of me, she says, I, I, I need your notes. And I thought, I'm the only one who knows how to read my notes. Amen. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I, I hope that uh, uh, notes are good there for you. But uh, we're going to talk about Jesus and the ministry of helps. There, there's four things that we're going to accomplish tonight in this teaching. Number one, uh, tonight's teaching is going to help you to understand your pastors a little bit better. Can I have an amen? amen? Amen. A lot of people don't understand their pastors, why they have such a passion uh, for people to be involved. They ought to just be happy people show up, you know, for church. And not understanding why they have such a passion, you know, uh, for people to, to do more than just show up, but to be involved. Number two, the second thing that... Uh, uh, we're gonna, this teaching is going to help us with tonight. It's going to help you to develop better attitudes in serving. Look at your neighbors. Smile. While you're smiling, say the word attitude. <laughs> when was the last time somebody smiled and said the word attitude? Usually you got an attitude, you know. And so uh, tonight, uh, this teaching is going to help us to develop better attitudes, okay, in serving. Number three, the third thing that's going to happen tonight this teaching is going to help our pastors to understand themselves a little bit better. That they're not wrong uh, to, to want to delegate. They're not wrong to, to have a passion for people to serve in the church, okay? And then the last one, which I think is probably the most important thing that we're going to learn tonight through this teaching, is uh, we're going to, uh, it's going to help us to have a better understanding of the structure of a local church. A lot of people don't fully understand the structure of the local church. You know, what, past, what, what part does pastor have? What part do, do you have, you know, in the structure of the local church? And so I, I, I want to start tonight with a sad story. Does anybody want to hear a sad story? 
thing. Our brother on the front row wants to hear a sad story. All right, good. <laughs> y'all, y'all, great people. Amen. Many, many, many years ago, I was in a, uh, a city in the United States, and I was part of a large uh, Ministry of Helps conference. Uh, I was one of uh, several speakers. And on the last night, uh, the pastors got together, and they wanted to take the speakers out to get us something to eat afterwards. Now, I'm a type of person, I, I, I love to be around people. I love to talk to people. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I do different things to get conversations going uh, with people I've never met before. I love meeting and talking with people I've never met or talked to before. And uh, that night when we uh, walked into the restaurant, the desire to speak to someone I'd never met before really rose up so big on the inside of me. I wanted to talk to everybody that was in there. I just did. I just wanted to go talk to everybody. We went over and we sat down and we had a, a nice meal. It was good fellowship, but I've been with these pastors. I've already met them. I already talked with them. And, and so I wanted to meet and talk with someone I've never met before. And so we get up and, uh, uh, to leave and we're going over to the, um, the coat rack and uh, our music director, Doyle Tucker, that time was with me and uh, we walked over toward the uh, uh, the door and there was a couple sitting sitting in a booth right there and they were leaving at this same moment and her husband was up was already going over the pay pay the bill and uh, she comes over to the coat rack and and I just start talking to her and uh, you know, I told her we were uh, preachers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were down here holding a, uh, uh, a seminar at Pastor So-and-So's church. And uh, she says, well, my husband over there, he's a pastor here in the city. Now, I thought that was uh, something, you know, that was a pastor and his wife sitting there. They were not part of our conference. Now, he's done paying the bill, and he's coming toward us. Now, the way he walked, the way he carried himself, I could almost guess what kind of church he pastored. And uh, he, he comes over, and she introduces us and, and says, Honey, these young men, they're from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they're down here holding a crusade. Remember, I told her seminar. And uh, he stood there. He goes, um, What would you all do? Come down here to get us all saved? And I said, No, Pastor, we're down here holding a ministry of help seminar. We're down here, uh, you know, uh, showing the people uh, the importance of getting involved in the church. Because he stood there next and said, Helps? Ministry of what? helps what's that and i said we're well, showing the pa the people the importance of serving in the church and so you know you'll be able to fulfill that vision that god's placed within your heart in your church now he was an older gentleman i didn't ask him how long he'd been a pastor but i, I would probably guess maybe over 20 or 30 years he took his wife by the hand and he began to walk out of the out of the restaurant and he turns around and he says you know young man if you teach that in my church they would cut my paycheck back this is a true story. True story. He says, if you teach that in my church, they would cut my paycheck back. Again, he was an older gentleman. I wanted to throw my arms around him and say, Pastor, I want you to know there's one person that's for you. I wanted to find out where his church was at and, and see if I can come preach. And then at the end, I was going to have a special laying on a hand service. You all know what a special laying on a hand service is? Come here, come here, come here, come here. This is a special laying on a hand service. It's when you walk up to somebody, you lay your hands around their neck and go, What's wrong with you, man? Wake up! 
And I like to have them near a wall when I'm doing it too. Amen. You okay? You all right? Okay. Okay. All right. We'll pray later over you. Amen. <laughs> You've been wanting me to do that for a long time. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll tell you another thing also. I saw a lot of fear. I saw a lot of hurt in that pastor's eyes. You know, a lot of pastors are motivated by fear. And that's sad. Of course, you know, we say, well, you, you can't pastor in fear, brother buddy. You've got to pastor in faith. And, and, and I agree with you. But there are a lot of pastors that pastor in fear. Their, 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 their messages are motivated by fear. And the sad thing about it is that, that many times we're the ones that put that fear upon our pastors. And what's really sad, not all times, but many times, we use the Word of God to do it. Let me show you the scriptures that many times are used to put fear upon our pastors. Now, what you're about to hear and what you're about to see, I'm not making this up. I've had pastor after pastor after pastor say, Brother Buddy, that's exactly what happened to me. But the scriptures that are used many times, we find in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Many times when pastors are hired in a church, okay, uh, usually there's a meeting before they take over. The deacon board, the elder board, the pulpit committee will bring the pastor and his wife into the meeting because you are in it together but we're only going to pay you but we're going to expect you to do most of the work around here amen and they bring them in and they have they want to have a meeting with them to have an understanding what god is going to expect out of you and what they are going to expect out of you or if it's a church that maybe they started on their own somewhere down the road there's always a concerned group in the church that feels that there must be an understanding before they continue because the church is growing and finances are flowing into the church and so we need to have an understanding with the pastor and his wife you know and they will use Ephesians 4 11 and 12 now I, I've had pastors say brother buddy one pastor said you had to be in the closet you had to be there, brother, but that's exactly what happened to me. And what you said is exactly what they said to me. So they usually bring them in and say, now, we, we want to have this. Now, do you have a Bible? Do you have a Bible? Oh, good. You know, our last pastor didn't carry a Bible. <laughs> Amen. So Ephesians 4, <laughs> Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. You're watching that. Okay. All right. It says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So we see here in the word of God that God has given you to us. We understand that. You understand that, right? Good. Let's go on and see what God's going to expect out of you and what we're going to expect out of you. Number one, it says right here in verse 12, you are reading along, right? Okay, good. It says, for you are here for the perfecting of the saints. 
Or in other words, God expects for you to get up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whenever we tell you to, God expects for you to get up and minister the Word of God. Do you understand that? We expect for you to get up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whenever we tell you to, and minister the Word of God. Amen? Good. Let's get to number two. Number two seemed to be an area our last pastor had a problem in. Number two, it says right here, you're here for the work of the ministry. Do you see that? You're here for the work of the ministry. The W-O-R-K. God expects for you to do more and just get up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whenever we tell you to and minister the Word of God. But He also expects for you to do the work of the ministry. And while we're on that, here's a list of some things our last pastor didn't get done. And oh yes, and here's the only key to the building. And Brother George does not like sitting in his car waiting for a church to open up on Sunday morning. Do you understand that? You are here for the work of the ministry. The W-O-R-K. We expect for you to do more than just get up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever we tell you to, and minister the Word of God. But we also expect for you to do the work of the ministry. And then number three, it says, which is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Or in other words, if you do number one and number two good, it will edify us. (laughs) And if we're happy, you'll stay longer. Funny but true, church. Funny but true. Pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor said, Brother Buddy, that's exactly the way I started in my church. Could you see me putting fear upon him? They, or both of them? They know one thing and one thing good. You're going to do the work of the ministry. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever ask questions when you're reading the Word of God? I do that a lot. I want, I want to show you another interpretation of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. I call it the Buddy Bell interpretation, okay? It says here, it says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Stop. I've got a question. Why? Why did God, I'm only going to pick one here, why did God give you and I a pastor? Good question, huh? Why did God give you and I a pastor? Some say, well, I know right, Brother Buddy. I know why. Uh, 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 So we'll have somebody to boss around. Why did God give you and I a pastor? You say, I I know why, Brother Buddy. Uh, We won't pay them what they're worth to see if this faith stuff really works or not. Why did God give you and I a pastor? The answer starts in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. The Amplified says for the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints. What do they perfect and equip us with? The Word of God. Amen? So God has given you and I a pastor. Why? To perfect and equip us with the Word of God. Stop. I can stop there. There's a comma there. Okay? And and for you theologians that are here tonight... I understand there's no punctuation in the original Greek, okay? But I I believe they took a breath right there, okay? (laughs) So we can pause, all right? And let's ask another question. Why are you and I that are being perfected and equipped with the Word of God by the pastor that God has sent into the church to us, why are we doing the work of the ministry? The answer comes right after the comma for the edifying of the body of Christ now that word edify means to build up or lift up 
did not Jesus say that if I be lifted up, that I'll draw all men unto me? Amen? Is that true? We have searched and searched how do we lift up Jesus? How do we let people know that we're down here, you know, in, in this, you're, you're in an industrial park, right? It's kind of, do you call this an industrial park? Yeah. How do we let people know that we're here? Well, I'll tell you, when Pastor gets off his blessed assurance and starts doing more around here and start visiting more people and, and start, you know, uh, 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 painting the building more often and cleaning things up around here, and, uh, you know, people will know we're down here. I don't know if you understand this phrase. You ever, you ever hear this? You can't win for losing. You can't win for losing. I'll give you an example to show you this. Uh, when a pastor tries out for a church, you know, uh, the people are, are only looking for one thing. Does he have that in his preaching? He's got to have that in his preaching. Well, the only way he can have have that and he's preaching he's got to be in the word he's got to be in prayer well in the beginning you know he tries out he's got it he's the one he's the one you know so they hire him then they have their meeting with him amen you know and the honeymoon starts But after a few weeks, you know, the committee comes back. <laughs> you didn't lose that list, did you? <laughs> you know, you need to start in on them rooms up there that need to be painted. And so he gets out of the Word. He gets out of prayer and goes over here and starts doing the work of the ministry. Are you hearing me? And what happens, he loses that in his preaching. Because he's over here doing all the work of the ministry. And a few weeks go by and the committee comes back. <laughs> you kind of lost it. <laughs> you know, that's what we liked about you. Well, he knows why. He hadn't been in the Word. Hadn't been in prayer. So he slacks up on the work. Gets back into the Word. Gets back into prayer. Gets that back and he's preaching. But a few weeks go by, <laughs> grass is getting tall, and he can't win for losing. This is what a lot of pastors go through. And usually about that time, they say, well, maybe it was pizza. It wasn't the Holy Ghost that called me to be a pastor. And they quit. You know, I told you this morning, you know, in the United States, 1,700 pastors a month walk away from their pulpits never to return. And I would say a lot of them go through this cycle. They can't win for losing. Amen. We have searched and searched how do we lift up Jesus, and the plan has been right under our nose the whole time. Pastor has a responsibility in perfecting and equipping the saints with the Word of God. And, and, and like I said, wh wh why do you come? Why do we come and, and allow the pastor to perfect and equip us with the Word of God? So we'll know how to fill out our tithe envelopes, you know, so we'll know the fastest way to get to church. Why are you being perfected and equipped with the Word of God? So you can do the work <coughs> of the ministry. Now, I know you're sitting there and say, well, now, brother, buddy, 
I can understand how you can come up with that interpretation. I mean, you teach on the ministry of helps, and, and you, you talk about serving all the time, and I can understand how you can come up with that, that interpretation of those two verses. Well, you know, there happened to be somebody in the Bible that interpreted these two verses the same way in his ministry. Have you ever heard of Jesus? You know, Jesus functioned in the five ministry gifts. But which one was he noted for above the others? Can anybody tell me? Which one was he noted for above the others? Teacher? Somebody else? Hmm? Apostle? Nowhere in your Bible does it say that Jesus was known as the great apostle. Nowhere in your Bible it says he was known as the great prophet. Nowhere in the Bible it says he was known as the great teacher. Nowhere in the Bible it says he was known as the great evangelist. But the Bible does say he was known as the great shepherd you know many times when we talk about the five ministry gifts we consider the gift of the pastor the low gift on the totem pole y'all know what a totem pole is amen or just they're they're at the bottom of the list amen we talk about apostles we have that far off look in our eye we talk about prophets it's wow. we talk about evangelists we get all hyper we talk about teachers we have that studious look we talk about pastors. <laughs> who, who wants to talk about pastors? There are a dime a dozen. You don't like this one, you get another one. Typical attitude. Some of you have come from churches that had attitudes like that. The pastor was, was, was nothing. We don't like them, we, we get rid of them, and, and, and we get another one. Jesus had a goal while he was here on the earth. Let me ask you, what was the goal of Jesus while he was here on the earth? What was his goal? Someone, someone tell me. What? To reflect the Father. Did he do that? How do you know he did it? It's in the Word. Okay, somebody else. Jesus had a goal while he was here on the earth. What was the goal of Jesus? What was his goal? Find the lost sheep. Did he do that? How do you know he did it? You don't know, you just know, right? Okay, all right. Jesus had a goal on the earth. What was his goal? To give us salvation. Did he do that? How do you know he did that? Because he told you, okay? Pastor Tony and Patsy, I'm working on a new sermon for you. Amen. What was the goal of Jesus while he was here on the earth? Do what? To destroy all the works of the evil one. Did he do that? How do you know he did that? Excuse me? Because he died on the cross. Right? So his goal was to get to the cross. Because if he didn't make it to the cross, none of these things would happen. So his goal was to get to the cross. And he made it, right? Yes, we all know he made it. But you know what I've discovered, church? A lot of people don't know how he made it to the cross. Oh, we know he made it, and thank God he did. But a lot of people don't know how he made it to the cross. So what we're going to do for the next five and a half hours, because <laughs> it probably would take that long, but we're not going to take that long. We're, we're going to walk down that path, okay, 
that Jesus walked on the way to the cross. Do you know there were certain miracles that had to happen? Do you know he only had so much time to get there? Amen. And, and certain miracles had to happen. Certain, he had to go certain places. Amen. So what I want us to do, I want us to take a, take a little closer look at Jesus, okay, and on his way to the cross. But I want you to remember Buddy Bell's interpretation of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That the ministry gifts are here to perfect and equip the saints. And in turn, the saints are here to do the work of the ministry. And when those two things are being done properly, it says the body of Christ will be edified, will be lifted up, okay? And so we're, we're going to take a look at some things that happen. Now, one miracle that happened that we all know about is the feeding of the multitude. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. Let's take a closer look. We all know this story. We've all heard this story. You know, Jesus had five loaves and two fishes. He looked up to heaven. He blessed them. He broke them. And then he fed the multitude. But that is an incomplete picture. But that is the picture that is painted to a lot of congregations. That there was a need, there was one man, and that one man met that need. And that's why, that's why sometimes it, that causes a, a little uh, problem in our churches. We come to the pastor and say, you know, Jesus has had five loaves and two fishes, and he fed a multitude. <laughs> what seems to be your problem? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and smile and say, he's talking about other churches. <laughs> okay. Let's take, a, let's take a little closer look at this picture, okay? I want to complete this picture, okay? Now, remember my interpretation. Let's keep an eye on Jesus. Let's see what he does in this miracle, and let's keep an eye on the disciples and see what they do in this miracle, okay? It says, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him. Now, I like to illustrate my messages, okay? Uh, one, of my, one of my deepest desires is to have a drama team follow me when I preach and act out my sermons, you know, while I'm preaching. Pastor, would you come up, and I want you to be Jesus, okay? Come on up. You can leave everything there. Come on up here, and I want you to be Jesus, all right? I want you to sit right here, okay? Now, I need 12 disciples, 12 disciples. Come on, I need 12 people to come up. Come on, come on, I need 12 people. We got one, two, okay. Come on, come on. Three, four, five, six, seven. Come on, I need 12 disciples. Come on, he, he doesn't. Uh, eight, nine. Where am I at, Kathy? Come on, come on up here and get around. Come on, come on. Don't let it go to your head, okay? All right, okay, here we go. We got one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Where is Judas? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Amen. All right. Now, now come, come and get around him. Now, I want you to see what, what is going on here, okay? The disciples have come to Jesus. Why? Because they have seen a need they have seen it before jesus saw it why did they see it they were among the people and they came to jesus said the time is now past uh, 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 uh the time let me read it for sure <laughs> i used to be able to quote it all right 
this is a desert place. The time is now past. Send the multitude away so they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Now, this is what the twelve said to the one. We see a need, and this is what you need to do to meet this need. Now, I've been taught or have, you know, people have said that you should always have more than one head over something. But also, I've been taught that anything with more than one head is a freak. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of freaky churches. Amen. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, other churches. <laughs> Amen. So the, the 12 said to the one, there's a need, and this is what you need to do to meet this need. But Jesus said back to the 12, the one to the 12, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. No, we're going to do this together. Okay? But the 12 said back to the one, well, <laughs> we just have here five loaves and two fishes. I mean, you know, this is not enough. I mean, you know, you, you want to uh, buy how much land and build what kind of building? I mean, have you looked at our checking account lately? I mean, we don't even have a savings account. But Jesus said back to the 12, listen, it's going to work, okay? It's, it, it's going to work. I mean, you, you, I mean I, I'll feed a thousand people, okay, just to prove to you this, this is going to work, okay? All right, 3,000. I'll, I'll feed 3,000 people. I mean, come on, if you just get in here with me, I'm, okay, I'll do 5,000 people just to prove to you this is going to work. This is what happens a lot of times. We see the need. But we come to one person expecting them to meet the need. Amen. And now he's got to try to convince us that we can do it. And some stand back and say, well, yeah, and uh, when you start doing something, big boy, then I'll start doing something around here. <laughs> and guess what happens? The need never gets met. But that, didn't, that isn't what happened that day. They said, all we have here is five loaves and two fishes. And, and, and Jesus said, go get them and bring them to me. Go get those five loaves and two fishes and bring them to me. So y'all can go sit down, but I need one of the smart ones to stay up here. <laughs> okay, brother, you want to stay up here? No You're on your own. Amen. Come on. Okay. Amen. What's your name? Josiah. Josiah? Okay, thank you. Yeah, you can sit down, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Josiah, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, okay. <laughs> all right? And I, I'm not looking for a spiritual, deep theological answer, okay? All right, you ought to thank God we're not videoing this, amen. <laughs> Josiah, how many people are in this auditorium tonight? Oh, um, 121. 121. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're guessing, right? Are you guessing? All right. Yeah. You want to be honest, we're in church. Okay? All right. So you're guessing. That's the answer. I'm looking for that question. You're guessing. You don't know exactly how many people are out here tonight, uh, right? I don't know. Maybe like 97. Yeah. You're guessing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just leave it at that. Don't try to figure it out, okay? All right. I have another question for you, all right? And I only have so much time, so don't. We're about out of time. All right. 
Josiah, if I was to ask you to sit these, these people down, this auditorium down, in groups of fives and tens, here's a key word, how would you do that for me? Josiah, go sit down. <laughs> Brother Mark, come on up here. Amen. Y'all put, put, put your arm around Josiah. He's feeling bad, okay? All right. Mark, right? Adam, Adam I'm sorry. Adam. Adam, if I was to ask you to sit, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making a point, okay? If I was to ask you to sit these, this group of people down in groups of fives and tens, here's the key word, how would you do that for me? Start counting down one to five. One to one to I should have picked him first. <laughs> Pay attention, Josiah. Pay attention, okay? All right, amen. You would count them off, right? One, two, three, four, five, stand over there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Y'all stand over there, right? Good. Now, oh, I'm not done. I got one more question. After doing that, Adam, after counting them off in groups of fives and tens, would you be able to tell me how many people exactly are in this room tonight? Sure. Sure. Thank Give him a hand. Amen. Amen. You say, Brother Buddy, why, why did you do all that? Well, let me explain. In verse 19, he says, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. In Mark, he, he told the disciples to uh, sit the group down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Okay? Now, when I read that, I thought, Jesus, that was not too smart doing that. Because they told you there's not enough. And you would have been better off keeping them guessing how many people were out there. But you cannot perfect someone if you keep them guessing. Jesus wanted them to know how many people were out there. And they, they found out 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay? And, and so there's no way you can perfect someone, okay, uh, if you keep them guessing. So they brought the five loaves and two fishes to Jesus and looking up to heaven he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude did Jesus pass out the food no the disciples passed out the food and then I want to throw a little nugget in here okay when they brought the five loaves and two fishes to Jesus when he prayed he didn't ask God to multiply them no, he thanked God what he had. I, I hope you get a hold of this. Many times we ask God to multiply when we ought to just thank God what we have. And then what happens? It multiplies. Amen. That's just a little extra. You can throw a little extra in the offering, okay? <laughs> Since I threw a little extra in there, amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor, smile, and say, Attitude. Now, I believe the disciples were human just like you and me, all right? They came to Jesus. They said, you know, uh, you need, this is what you need to do. You need to send the people away. And Jesus said, no, th this is what we're going to do. And they said, yeah, but you don't understand we don't have enough. And Jesus said, well, go get it and bring it to me. 
And, and while you're out there, sit them down in groups of 150s. So they come back with the five loaves and two fishes, and they know there's 5,000 men besides women and children. They hand the fish and the bread to Jesus. They watch Jesus look up at heaven and blessed it and, 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 he, and broke it, and he handed it back to the ones who told him what to do. Now, I believe they were human just like you and me, all right? And I believe they might have had some thoughts. I believe they looked at the food. They looked at all those people again. They looked at Jesus. They looked at the food. They looked at the people. They looked at Jesus. And I believe they might have had a thought. Maybe we ought to eat first. <laughs> well, yeah, we're with the guy all the time. I mean, these people just show up every now and then. I mean, if anybody ought to go through the line first, the staff ought to go through the line first. And that's what happens a lot of times. The staff, the leaders go through the line first. They get all the good pieces of the chicken. Amen. And then the other people just got to take what's left over. Can I have an amen? Now, Adam, come on up here. You're doing a good job. A whole lot better than some others. Amen. They passed out the food in, in 10 minutes, right? How long would it take to pass out food to 5,000 men? A long time. A long time, right? 5,000, besides women and children, okay? So they didn't do it in 10 minutes. They didn't, didn't do it in 30 minutes. They did it in probably several hours. It probably took them to pass out the food. Amen? How long did it take you to uh, remodel this building? Did you do it in a week? Did you do it in a month? Did you do it in six months? We got in in three months, but we kept working. You got in in three months, but you kept working. Amen. Three months to develop a bad attitude. Amen. I mean, I believe there were some thoughts when the disciples were passing out the food. I, I, I believe they had them. You know, hey, we, we told him what to do. I mean, what are we going to do if we run out? And maybe we ought to stop and take a break and eat some before we get it. <laughs> Amen. Listen to me, church. You're going to have the thoughts. But it's up to you what you do with those thoughts. When you speak them out, that's when you develop bad attitudes. Amen. Let's do this, Adam. Let's say you were there that day. Okay? You're one of the disciples, huh? Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. But you had a bad attitude, along with your other 11 bad attitudes. And you're watching Jesus pass out the food, because you told him what to do. And so Jesus is passing out the food. You're watching this, Adam. Every time Jesus reached into his basket, he's pulling out fish and bread. Now, it's been a couple of hours, and Jesus is pulling out fish and bread. He has fed almost 3,000 people, and you're still watching this. Every time Jesus... Put his hand in the basket, he pulls out fish, and he pulls out bread. And then Jesus comes to number 15,000. You're watching this, Adam. You're watching. He has been feeding now almost 15,000 people out of this basket. But he comes to number 15,000. Jesus reaches into his basket. Huh. He turns out, pulls out fish and bread. Now, Adam, I, I want you to be sincere, okay? How would that have affected you that day, standing there and watching Jesus do that in front of your eyes? With a bad attitude. Huh? 
No, I mean, I'm just, you know. Probably amazed. Probably, probably amazed. amazed. Surprised? Yeah, okay, all righty, that's good. All right, let's do this, okay? Uh, you're one of the disciples, okay? Praise God, hallelujah, amen? But you have a good attitude, okay? You have a basket, and you're feeding the multitude along with your other 11 good attitude friends, amen? Every time, Adam, you reached into your basket, you pull out fish, and you pull out bread. You have now fed almost 1,000 people by yourself, Adam, Every time you reach into your basket, you pull out fish and you pull out bread. You're watching your friends pulling out fish and pulling out bread. And then it's you, Adam. Yes, it's you that comes at number 15,000. It's you, Adam. You reached into your basket. Yeah. And you pulled out fish and you pulled out bread. Now, be honest with this. How would that have affected you that day? Huh? Would it affect you different than it did before? Oh, definitely. See, Adam, that's why pastor wants you involved. You could sit there and watch him feed the multitude, or you could pick up a basket and be involved, and it would affect you in a far greater way than just sitting and watching it being done. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Now, now remember, remember my interpretations of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. I just happened to make a list of what Jesus did and what the disciples did, okay? Jesus, this is what he did in this miracle, okay? He spoke it, he delegated it, and he blessed it. That's all he did. That's all he did in this miracle. What did the disciples do? Well, number one, I didn't want to leave this out. They thought they knew best, okay? I didn't want to leave that out. Number two, they went and got the food, Number three, they seated the people. How long would it take to seat 15,000 people? And then they passed out the food. How long would it take to pass out food to 15,000 people? And then, and, and, and the story goes on, and they did all eat and were filled. And they, after they fed them, they went back and picked up the fragments that remained. Twelve baskets full. I have a question. Why was there Twelve. Why wasn't there 16 baskets? Why wasn't there 10 baskets? Why were there 12 baskets of fragments that remained? Why? Oh, 12 disciples, you remembered. You know, many times we think that God doesn't see what we're doing. Especially, especially, you know, people that serve outside of the sanctuary. They don't feel that or, or think that God sees what they're doing. In, in the rooms back there, down this hall is our, is our children's ministry. I can remember many times after church, uh, Kathy and I would be serving in, in our nursery, and, and uh, after church, people would come by and says, uh, you know, uh, man, you missed it. Oh, you really missed it. You know, we wonder why, Pastor Tony, we have a hard time getting people to serve outside of this room, because the people that serve outside of this room is constantly being told they miss God. And nobody wants to miss God. But I've always said, how can you miss God when you're serving God? I think the only way you can miss God is when you're sitting around not doing nothing. And we have a lot of those, amen, in other churches. 
But many times they would come and, and say, man, man, did we have a service? Oh, brother, buddy, how long you think God's going to have you back here? You missed it, you missed it, you missed it. And I can remember saying to myself, no, nah, I didn't miss it. God knows right where I'm at. He knows exactly what I'm doing. And this is a true story. After church, you know, after everybody's left and, and uh, uh, Kathy and I, we, we clean up the nursery and get it ready for the next service. I'd come out to the auditorium. There would only be like one light on. I come out where people got saved and where people got healed and I, all the things we heard that went on in the service, you know. And I, I just started thanking God that I had a part in the miracles that happened and people got saved. Then all of a sudden, heaven would open up and God would pour a basket full on me. And I'd have church like you wouldn't believe. God knows right where you're at. He knows exactly what you're doing. And he will not forget you. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen. Let me give you one more and then we're going to have to, to break. But I, from now on, when you read the, 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 uh, uh, the gospels, you're going to see things you've never seen before. Amen. Let's, let's talk about something else that happened. Uh, the blind man sitting alongside the road. We know this story, right? The blind man is sitting alongside the road. Jesus is coming. He's, he, the blind man's told Jesus is coming. And he, and he yelled out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heard that cry, and it stopped him in his tracks. And then Jesus walked over to the blind man, and he laid his hands upon him and prayed, and boom, his eyes opened up. Amen? Sorry. Sorry. Don't feel bad because you nodded your head or said amen. Because that is the incomplete picture that has been painted many times to our congregations. And there's, there's been this, what I call, one stroke of the brush on the canvas has been left off of this picture, which I believe is the key to church growth. Jesus was coming down the road. The blind man was told that, that Jesus was coming, and he, he cried out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heard that cry, and it stopped him in his tracks. And now this is what's been left out so many times. Jesus said, bring him to me. Jesus said, bring him to me. Look at your neighbor, smile, and say attitude. I believe there might have been some thoughts. Jesus, the man is blind. And he is yelling for you. Can't you walk 12 feet to the blind man? Hello. Amen. You ever had people come to you and say, uh, you know, Pastor, I, I've got a neighbor that really needs really needs to be in church and they really need a miracle and I've asked them a hundred times to come to church but they won't come and, and they make the best uh, uh, cream pie that, that, that you've ever ate you know and, and, and so if you could stop by and just have coffee and pie with them I know if you invite them they'll come to church but you need to understand something you're number 85 that it's asked pastor to do that and if he stops and has pie and, and coffee with, with your neighbors, I'll have to send him my suits. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so what am I saying? You go and have coffee and pie with your neighbor again, 
and ask them to come to church. Yeah, but brother, buddy, I've done that a hundred times, and they won't come. Well, let me tell you why they won't come. It's because of your attitude. The disciples came to the blind man, and they said, Come on, come on, we always do this at the end of the service. I'd like to get out here early, but oh, no, no, we got to do this every time. If anybody needs to be up here, it's you. I mean, you know, just stay right there. When I train ushers, I, I tell them, you know, you can help create a miracle or stop a miracle by your attitude. How you treat people to come up and be prayed for. Amen. But that isn't what the disciples said to the blind man. The disciples came to the blind man and said, be of good cheer, the master calls for thee. Be of good cheer, the master calls for thee. You know, it sounds like to me they knew he was going to get what he needed before he got it. When you come to church, do you expect God to be here? Do you expect answers? To prayers they came to the blind man and they said be of good cheer the master calls for thee and the disciples brought the need they brought the blind man to Jesus and Jesus laid his hands on him and boom his eyes opened up you know it's been so long since I've seen somebody get saved in church well let me, let me uh, share something with you. For someone to get saved in church, <laughs> there must be an unsaved person here. So what am I saying? You do your part. Pastors will do their part. And Jesus will be lifted up. Well, brother, buddy, it's been such a long time since I've seen somebody get healed in our church. You want to see somebody get healed? Then you bring someone who is sick. You do your part, pastors will do their part, and Jesus will be lifted up. Well, it's been so long since I've seen a miracle. You want to see a miracle? Then you bring someone who needs a miracle. You do your part, pastor will do his part, and Jesus will be lifted up. There were many things that happened on the way to the cross. Again, when you read the Gospels from now on, you're going to see things you've never seen before. A lot of little things, amen. Well, Jesus made it to the cross. After they had beaten him, after they had whipped him, after they had forced that, that crown of thorns upon his head, they brought him to a wooden cross that was lying flat on the ground. They laid Jesus on that cross and they nailed him to that cross. Did they leave the cross laying on the ground? No. What happened? They lifted it up. And remember, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I thank God the disciples didn't develop bad attitudes. I thank God they didn't say, well, you know, when are you going to do something around here? You know, when they, when they went to the other side of the sea, Jesus went down and took a nap. I thank God they didn't say, excuse me, you know, these oars will fit your, your hands just like they fit ours, you know. <laughs> You want us to paint these rooms down here, then you need to come down and help us out. I thank God they didn't develop bad attitudes. Because I'm telling you right now, he would not have made it on time to the cross. Amen. 
Can you understand Brother God Bay a little bit better now? Can you understand how he could write that definition? Oh, the infinite value. How many people have been saved since Jesus made it to the cross? Oh, the infinite value. How many people have been healed since Jesus made it to the cross? Oh, the infinite value. How many miracles, how many healings have happened since Jesus made it to the cross? Oh, the infinite value of the humble gospel helpers. Thousands of people have no gifts as leaders, but we are number one helpers. How grand revival work moves along when when red hot platoons of fire baptized helpers crowd around god's heroic leaders of the embattled host we're in this together thanks for listening we're always encouraged to hear how god is using this ministry to change lives if you have a story you would like to share about how god is working in your life please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.